chapter 4 and verse 14. And I want to begin a series today we're calling Desperate Households. How many of you know what it's like to have a household that's on the edge of desperate at least every once in a while? All right. We're going to talk about desperate households. We're starting this series on the home today. And uh, speaking of the home, next Sunday is Mother's Day. And if your mother is anywhere around, I want to encourage you to bring her. There's something we're going to give to every mother. And, of course, Kathy will be here. and We're going to, we're going to bless the moms. And it's going to be a great Sunday in the name of the Lord next Sunday. So let's stand to read Nehemiah chapter 4. And if you're wondering where Nehemiah even is, if you can find Job or Psalms, just take a left and go to Nehemiah. And as you go left to Nehemiah, then we're in chapter 4, verse 14. And let's see what the Bible says about, about the family. Now, this is the, the context of this quickly. Nehemiah is addressing the people of God who have come out of captivity. They've been 70 years in Babylonian captivity, and now they're leaving. God has set them free. He has sent them home. And they have come under attack. Because, you know, anytime you begin anything, anything for God, it's going to get attacked. Now, can I say that again? Anytime you're doing anything for the will of God, anything that God's told you to do, it's going to get attacked. You don't need to be surprised by the fiery trial that tries you because the enemy's going to attack it. Now, Nehemiah and the people of God were under attack. And Nehemiah stands up and brings a word to these people that we need to hear. He says in verse 14, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them, your enemies. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Great and awesome. And fight for your brethren. Fight for your brethren. Now listen to what he says is worth fighting for. This is a good fight. There's bad fights and there's good fights. This is a good one. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses, your families, and your homes. He said, this is bigger than us. This is for our children and our children's children and their children. We are fighting for our lineage. There's something eternal here, something far-reaching here, something that carries a great weight of importance here. You need to realize what you're fighting for. Now, I hope I've got everybody's attention today because I'm going to talk very blunt to you and very forcefully to you, and I believe in a way that will bless you about the home. The home is worth fighting for. Your children are worth fighting for. Your grandchildren are worth fighting for. Your marriage, your marriage is worth fighting for. And so that's what Nehemiah laid on them, and that is what motivated them to finish the good fight. So, Father, we just thank you for your word today. And we pray that you will bless it to our hearts. We stir ourselves up in the Spirit of God. We awaken ourselves. We fan into flame the gift of God. We ask you, Lord God, to open our ears and eyes to see and to hear what God is saying to the church through his word today. And we bless you for it in Jesus' name. Now breathe a prayer and say, Lord, I receive your word. Speak to me today. 
I'm going to be changed. Amen and amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, your family's going to be changed. Ask the average family today, just the average family in church, and they'll tell you they're struggling with overwhelming challenges, if they're honest. And those challenges will either be related to their finances, their marriage, their health, their family relationships, stress, job, discouragement, concern for their future, and sometimes even issues with their faith. I've been struggling a long time, believing God for a long time, standing on His Word, and I don't see anything happening yet. I'm struggling, Pastor, with my faith. Do you know there's nothing wrong with admitting that you're struggling with your faith? It's time we get real with God, and I hope we can get real with God in the next few weeks, and I believe in God that He's going to change the families, the homes of this church. This is not a message only for married people. It's a message also for singles because you've got a home. You live somewhere, and that means you've got a home. And God wants you to have more than a house. He wants you to have a home. As a matter of fact, we're going to go through this series, and the last Sunday of this series, we're going to have communion tables right down here in the front, and we're going to uh, minister communion to all of the families together. And if you're a single person, we're just going to give it to you uh, uh, alone, but we're going to minister to every entity, every home unit, we're going to minister the healing of communion to. We're believing God in the next month to heal families. I'm believing God that people who have been considering divorce— listening to me right now in this congregation and by radio, that that assignment is going to be canceled by the name of Jesus and by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're huge on relationships in America. Most local bookstores have a shelf of relationship books that's longer than most relationships last. Detailing how to find the love of your life, how to get married, how to create and try to maintain these positive illusions. In our pop culture, that culture out there that you find on television, in the paper, in magazines, the pop culture, marriage flows naturally from romance. We're told all marriage is based on romance or feelings. Julia Roberts keeps running off with Richard Gere. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan finally get together in the romantic hit, Sleepless in Seattle, and that's just the way it ought to be. <laughs> Marriage, we are taught primarily by Hollywood, is held together by runaway romantic feelings, butterflies in the stomach, seeing stars, loss of appetite, unable to sleep, and the belief that you found your soul mate. Can I tell you, I found my soul mate when I was 16 years old in juvenile detention center, and his name was Jesus Christ, and he's my soulmate. Amen. The problem with feelings is that feelings inevitably change and alter and fade. A pastor received the following thank you note from a newlywed in his congregation. Dear pastor, I want to thank you for performing our marriage ceremony. It was beautiful the way you brought my happiness to a conclusion. Some of you need to keep praying and you'll get it tonight sometime after you've gone to bed. 
And Hollywood marriages show us almost by the day that feelings don't carry a marriage. Commitment does. Hate to break it to you, but Brad and Jen did not make it. And so many others have not made it. And the new ones that have formed now aren't going to make it because a marriage is not held together by the feelings I just described. A marriage is held together by commitment. Commitment. A 10-letter powerful word. Can you say it with me? Commitment. Say with me, covenant. That's what holds a marriage together, not feelings. Feelings come, feelings go. We Americans, we love to get married, but half of our marriages don't even last. Then we switch partners and remarry with roughly the same odds or less of success unless you do the right things. So what's the answer? What's the answer? First, we've got to understand today that the family, and I want you to get this, the Bible says that the family not a strong military, the family, not a strong government, the family, not a political party, the family is the foundation for a strong nation and a strong church. If the family dies, the church is gone and the nation is over with. Read history and you'll see when there was disintegration that was pandemic, pandemic disintegration of the family always brought the toppling of any nation no matter how strong it was. This is why there's been such an attack against the home on the part of the enemy. The enemy has gone for the jugular vein of America, and the jugular vein is the family. And he's going after the Christian family with even more ferocity than he is the lost family. If the family disintegrates, the home is, or the nation is not far behind. The nation is only a matter of time. God originally ordained the family to be the basic building block, the basic unit of society. It's the family. God puts a huge premium on your home. And can I tell you, God is looking at your home, loves your home, is pulling for your home, wants your home and your marriage to succeed. God is rooting for you, pulling for you. He has sent the Holy Ghost and not a few angels to your home that your home would survive and more than survive, that it would thrive. God wants your home blessed. He doesn't want us walking in here with an empty gas tank saying, fill me up. Jesus wants to visit the home. He wants to come into our living rooms. He wants to come into our bedrooms. Jesus wants to invade our homes. And do you know that if we had church at home and the Holy Ghost was moving in our homes, do you know what would happen when we came together for, for church? It would explode. Amen. The Bible warns that if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundation of the home is destroyed, it leaves a certain helplessness even with righteous people because that's the foundation stone, the building block of society. Every day, media reports are confirming that the moral and biblical principles for the family in America are quickly disintegrating. Here's just a few of the warning signs. Christian marriages are divorcing at the same rate as non-Christian. In some states, it's been statistically proven divorce rates are higher among Christian marriages than non-Christian. State courts are being hugely pressured by gay lobbyists to allow same-sex marriages, which is a perversion of God's original design. 
Nearly 50% of children, nearly 50% of children are living in single-parent homes. And in saying that, I want to say to you single parents, God is with you. Listen, I'm not one of these people that judge people for not being perfect or living up to a certain level. Here's what I believe about God. He enters your pain at whatever level it is. And he ministers to you and heals you and brings you up from there. So if you're a single parent, my prayers are with you. My hat is off to you. I know you you need help, and I pray God's help and blessing mightily upon your home. Our prison population has hit an all-time high and increases by the day. The anti-Christian and anti-family forces have taken a heavy toll on far too many families. It does not take a rocket scientist to look at all this and realize that something's got to be done today to strengthen the home. And I want to tell you, it starts right here in church. If the church can have strong families where Jesus is in the house, not just this house, but our house. When we go home, there is worship and not arguing. There is unity and not dissension. There is blessing and not criticism. God wants to invade your home, sir. He wants to invade your home, ma'am. He doesn't want it to be a place of fighting and ridicule and anger. He wants it to be a a place of blessing and fullness and joy. And I'm going to preach it on to you the best I know how. Now let me just take a minute and I want you to get ready to grab your toes and say, oh me, and then by the time I'm done, you're going to be saying amen. But you know, I never read my Bible that it doesn't grab me by the throat and shake me up a little bit. And I'm glad that it does because the truth is never easy, but it does set you free. Well, y'all's ameners need to be turned up about four decibels. It's almost like you feel it coming. Amen. Some of you got white knuckles holding on to the side of your chair. Would you relax? I came to bless you today. Amen. Let's look for a moment at what's behind the current breakdown in family life. It has become a trend in families today for both parents to become too busy with the pursuit of their careers. Now, let me say this. I know you got to pay bills. I understand that. I'm holding up something, a standard. And I understand. Listen, I I am not living out perfectly everything I'm going to preach to you today. I'm reaching for it just like you. But I haven't arrived and neither have you. But you know what? God's truth grabs hold of us and pulls us up while the enemy grabs hold of us and pulls us down. So let's just see what God might want in the home. It's become a trend in families today for both parents to become too busy with the pursuit of their careers. The care of the children is delegated to the daycare center or to the maid. Those of school going age are taken care of in before and after school care centers. Whatever little time of interaction is spent with the children is used mostly for supervising their homework or preparing them for exams. Have you studied, Johnny? Do you have it down, Susie? And as long as they can obtain good results for every exam, parents consider themselves to have successfully fulfilled their role as parents. One counselor wrote, but when the turbulent years of adolescence arrive, and I'll tell you how you know they've arrived. When the turbulent years of adolescence have arrived, you walk into the living room and you see a creature and you say to yourself, did I do that? (laughs) 
Because it's like an alien being comes and gets in their body and suddenly that cute little thing that used to run up and grab you by the, the knees and hug you and say, Mommy and Daddy, and acted like Jesus Christ just came home, doesn't even look up when you walk in. And when you see them, they're wearing bizarre clothes, bizarre hair, they talk weird, they listen to strange music, and you wonder what in the world happened to them. Welcome to adolescence. Put on your seatbelt. It lasts a while. When the turbulent years of adolescence arrive, the parents find themselves terribly estranged from these children that they raised from the time they were little. Instead of looking to their parents, the children look to their friends, their peers, or God forbid, to the internet to find the guidance, help, and answers that they need. And so the failure to bring a strong family bond now begins to take its toll. The children go their own way, paying no attention to their bewildered, dazed, befuddled, and confused parents and leaving them wondering what has happened to little Johnny and little Susie. What is God's answer for the family and the degeneration of the family? Listen carefully to me. We've got to understand the value that God places on family life in the Word of God. Did you know that all through the Word of God, that book you've got in your hand that gathers so much dust on the shelves of our homes, some people have so many versions of the Bible, it would take a whole library shelf to fit them all in but they never crack it open and read it now listen carefully to me that book gathering dust on some of your shelves is filled with direction about the family the remedy for the family is to return to the instruction manual provided by the manufacturer capital m i want you to grab your bibles and hold it up can you do that just grab your bible and hold it up high and wave it What you've got in your hand is a holy Bible. Now, let me tell you what else it is. It's an instruction manual. It's an instruction manual. Now, I'm going to go ahead and humble myself to you. This week, I went and bought another bird feeder. And this one was a classy bird feeder. I went to Walmart, and I paid about $40 for a bird feeder. And this thing, had it has three different tubes to it. And, and, and so you can put three different kinds of food. So as a result, we have had cardinals. We have had American goldfinches. We have had all kinds of different birds landing on this thing. But when I opened it up, I looked at it and said, ah. And I threw the directions aside. Now, 45 minutes later, and no, really about an hour and a half later, with sweat pouring down my face, fighting not losing my religion, Kathy walked up to me as a wife is wont to do, and said, you want these yet? (laughs) See, Mr. (laughs) Come on, ladies. Mr. Brilliant here thought, ah, it's just a bird cage. I can put together a bird cage, but it had more twists and turns than some of the toys I put together for my children when they were little. And so I've learned when all else fails, follow directions. And all else will fail unless you do. Now, if we need directions for a bird feeder, where are we with a marriage and a home? We need the instruction manual. And let me save you some time. 
dear male friend, might as well grab the Bible and study it. I see you sweating. I see you trying to make it work by your own wisdom. Can I give you some understanding and save you about $200 in counseling fees? Go ahead, pick up the Bible and admit it. You don't know what you're doing. You need instruction and counsel from the Word of God, and that's free advice. We need to return to the instruction manual put together by the manufacturer who designed and created the family unit in the first place. The Bible gives us all the wisdom we need from God about how families should function. We find his wisdom for the family and the Word of God in two arenas, and I want to cover them quickly commandments and instructions that God gave us about family life. Did you know that the Bible is full of commandments and instructions about family life? Many of the commandments given in the scriptures are related to promoting harmony and godliness in family life. Now let me just throw a few of them out. Husbands are commanded to love their wives as they love themselves. Now let me just make this simple for you. The marriage is the only time in all of life and all of mathematics where one plus one equals one. One plus one in marriage equals one. Because the Bible says the mystery of marriage is that two become one. Well, if one plus one equals one, then God tells the man, love your wife as you would love yourself. You would not take a blowtorch and put it on your hand. You would not step on your own feet. You would not constantly criticize yourself. No, it says whatever you do to her, the way you treat her, you're treating yourself. Sir, let me give you a, let me give you a little bit of truth here. And, and this stings, but we need it. If you love her, you're loving you. To compliment her is complimenting yourself. If you put a smile on her face and bless her and make her glad she woke up in the home with you, then it just comes back with blessing on you. And that's what Peter said we needed to know, that we should live with the woman according to knowledge and not according to stupidity. Now, how many of you men could admit when you got married, you were like me, dumb and dumber? Come on. I, we got a case of the no amens and the no raised hands here today. Don't tell me that you had it all together when you got married, sir. I know better than that because we men don't get these things unless we're taught. And so he says, love your wives even as you love yourself. Tells the woman, submit to your husband. That little six-letter word gets a bad rap in our day. It is not doormat theology. He is not telling ladies to be stepped on, taken advantage of, uh, taken for granted. That is not what he's saying at all. I have learned a long time ago, sir, I learned a long time ago, wisdom says you submit one to another in the fear of God. I've learned that if I don't listen to the wisdom my wife tries to tell me, I will pay for it down the road. Can I tell you something? When you marry that woman, you married a set of antenna that you don't have. They see things you don't see. They, they discern things you don't discern. How many of you guys can admit, my wife has told me things before. I said, you're crazy. And later I realized she was right. Stand up, guys. Just stand up. Just stand up if you know that's true. All right. <clears throat> Tells the wife, you need to learn to recognize 
the power and the wisdom of God in the home. You need to recognize God in the home and God in your husband's position as husband. Parents are commanded to love and instruct and discipline their children, while children are commanded to honor and obey their parents. Now, why do you think there's such an abundance of instructions about family life and the Word of God? Because God's heart is in the home. God's heart is in the home. Did you know the last prophecy in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi had to do with the family? God predicts the return of Elijah the prophet to the earth, who in my opinion was John the Baptist. And the Bible says that his ministry would do the following, restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and restore the hearts of their children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And so when fathers and children are separated and children from their fathers, it brings a curse because men, fathers, are the glory of their children. And so the Bible says that God, closing out the Old Testament, shared his burden for the home. God's got a burden for the home. Now, if he gives so much attention and effort to teaching about the home, shouldn't we be talking about God's will for the home? Now, the Bible is also filled with an abundance of promises concerning families. Listen to this. Many of the promises given in the Scriptures deal not only with individuals, but also with families. Listen to this. For instance, when Peter delivered his first gospel sermon at Pentecost, he said these words, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now he goes on. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Here's what he was saying. Something powerful happens in a home when the parents get saved and begin to walk with God. It may take weeks, may take months, may take years, but it reverses something that is going on in your home. I believe when a parent gets saved, it's the beginning of the cancellation of Satan's assignment over that at home. When Paul and Silas brought the gospel message to their Philippian jailer, they said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your house. And so even then, in Paul's pronouncement to the Philippian jailer, his family was on the mind of the Holy Ghost of God. You know, this week I was talking to my mother when I got saved, I was the only one in our house that had gotten saved. And I was the black sheep. I mean, I was the weird one. Well, he went from one extreme to the other. Here he is now, a total Jesus freak, a fanatic, and, and, he's, and he's witnessing everybody. And my mother mocked me. My mother made fun of my faith. She would take little sticks and little jabs at it. And one night, I was preaching in a large church uh, where a lot of people were there. I was a guest speaker, and I gave the invitation for people to be saved. And I looked down at the altar after all the people had come down, and behold, there stood my mother. I didn't even know my mother was there. I forgot the mic was hot. I said, Mother, what are you doing here? And she had tears running down her face. And she said, I've come to get saved. And my mother got saved. Now, then a ch go ahead. That's all right. 
And, and then it was like a chain reaction began. And God began to move through my whole house. And my dad got saved. My sisters got saved. And just this week, I was calling my little mother, who's uh, uh, way on in years now. And she'd hate me to say that. She looks young for her age. But boy, she's been so healthy and so strong. I said, Mom, how's it going? She said, Jeffrey, the most wonderful thing's been happening to me. And I said, what? And she said, every morning, I feel like God has witnessed to me to get up 30 minutes early and spend 30 minutes in prayer and Bible study, and I've started doing it, and it has made such a difference in my life. The Lord is so good. Before I know it, I'm holding the phone back a little bit because there's this anointing coming through the phone, and he who used to preach to her now has her preaching to he. And see, God blesses the home. So can you say with me, God wants to bless my home. If the family is so crucial to God and so much of the Bible is dedicated to strengthening the family, I want to isolate two important principles that form the basis for building a godly Christian home. How many of you want a godly Christian home? How many of you want Jesus to visit your marriage and your home? Amen. Well, that's a good sight to see. Here's the first principle. Here's how you do it. Family members must be committed to one another. You've got to be committed one to another. You've got to be committed to the members of your family. Listen to this verse. It stings a little bit, but listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, I'm going to read it one more time. If any does not provide for his own flesh and blood family members, those of his own house, he has done the equivalent of denying the faith and is worse than an infidel. Gee, Paul, why don't you just say it sweetly? That stings, but that's the truth because God's called us to care for one another. You ought to care for your flesh and blood family members before you do any other people on earth. Those of your own house, you ought to do it. I am amazed. I've never been able to understand a parent who can walk away from a child and act like he never knew the child. I've never understood that. You know, we've got a little covenant in our house, and it is that Jeff records Judge Judy every day. Hello, everybody. How many of you know who Judge Judy is? <laughs> Kathy says, if I'm not home, you be sure you record Judge Judy. I said, Kathy, why do you watch Judge Judy? Why do you watch all these people every day being called an idiot and a fool in front of 10 million people? She says, because she says what I wish I could say when I'm mad. <laughs> but how many times watching Judge Judy have we seen parents who have been brought before her who have just totally forsaken their own children? Let me tell you something, folks. There are some things that you can walk away from, but you should never walk away from your own flesh and blood. God help you if you walk away from your own flesh and blood. Now, you may say, but I hate their mother or I hate their father. Listen, your feelings for your children should never, your feeling for your exes, for those who used to be in your life and are not any longer, should never be, should never affect the feelings you have for your children. You should always separate the children from what you feel toward the parent. If you have separated, if it's divorced, if you've gone your own way, can I give you a commandment from God today? Love your children. Bind to your children. I mean, commit to your children. Let them know you love them. Feelings change all the time in the home. 
And we need to know that we've got to commit, be committed to one another no matter what we feel about one another. For instance, a wife may sometimes feel irritated by her husband's untidy habits. Like what? Dirty socks and underwear on the floor. Dirty dishes in the sink. You fill in the blanks. Look up at me. Don't look at your spouse. You fill in the blank, but yeah, they're going to irritate you because you're flawed and they're flawed. A mother may sometimes feel upset with a child who's disobedient. I guarantee if you've got children, you are going to be upset because they are going to be disobedient. But even if they completely rebel against God and walk out of the church and walk out of your home and go off chasing after the devil, love them to the ends of the earth. Never let them go. Let them know that your covenant and commitment is to love them no matter what they do, say, where they walk. If they wind up in prison, we've got a woman who's a member of our church today who goes to the prison here in Fort Worth and sees her son every week, talks to him through bars, and has for years. That man knows if he knows anything. Mama loves me to the end. She doesn't care what I've done. Siblings will sometimes quarrel with each other over toys and personal belongings or display sibling rivalry. They've still got to be committed to one another. If the quality of family life depended on feelings, the ties that bind would end up in knots. But it doesn't depend on feelings. It depends on commitment. It depends on commitment. If there's commitment between members of the family to one another, family life will remain strong and steadfast no matter how the feelings come or they go. It doesn't matter. My commitment is to love you. My commitment is to be there for you. My commitment is to you. And nothing is going to change my commitment. The principle of commitment applies, first of all, to the marriage relationship. This is the relationship that undergirds the entire family. Mom and dad's undying commitment to one another is the pillar. I said the pillar that the whole family rests upon. If commitment is compromised, the foundation of that family are in jeopardy. Ladies and gentlemen, you married people, your, your relationship is not held together by feelings but by commitment commitment. Our children need to see that commitment. Other Christians need to see that commitment. The glue of a marriage is a covenant because nothing changes that. Commitment also applies to the parent-child relationship that I've just mentioned. Let me go into it a little bit further and we're done. A covenant commitment keeps a father from disowning a child or giving up on him even when the child becomes rebellious and disobedient. Think of the many times in the Bible that Israel rebelled against God. Think about it. And provoked his displeasure and his wrath against them over and over and over again. I've said it often. If I were God, many people would be a puff of smoke. And if they were God, I'd be a puff of smoke. It's a good thing we're not God. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a good thing you're not God. <laughs> See, God being God, God is merciful. He's long-suffering. He's compassionate. Aren't you glad he never gives up on you? Aren't you glad that he never walks away? Aren't you glad that when you fail at something over and over and over again, he still comes back and says, I love you anyway. My commitment and my covenant is to you. See, the reason that God never gave up on Israel was because he can't give up on Israel because God said, if I forget you, I have forgotten myself and I can't forget myself. Listen to what God said. Can a 
mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for a child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. I have written your name on my hand. Can I give you some good news today? In the nail-scarred hand of Jesus Christ, your name is there. He's tattooed your name on the palm of his hand. When he looks at his hand that brought redemption to us, he sees John and Sue and Bill and Mary. He sees our names. And he says, my covenant is to you. I cannot quit looking at that hand and I cannot quit looking at you. If you walk away from me, I don't walk away from you. My covenant is to you. I have committed to you to the ends of the earth. And when the time comes and the trumpet blows, I'm going to fulfill my covenant. I'm coming to earth. I'm going to take you up into glory with me. I'm going to change your body into a glorified body. And I'm going to put you in a place I have built just for you because I'm committed to you. It's commitment that enables a Christian to persevere in taking care of an aged, bedridden parent to the best of his ability. The tie that binds family members together is commitment. It's commitment. It's commitment. But I'm going to give you one last key to having a family that succeeds in God. And I want to close with this. Family members must be committed to the Lord. Must be committed to the Lord. It's been truly said, and I can tell you it's true as a pastor, Most people are in church three times in their life, when they're hatched, when they're matched, and when they're dispatched. (laughs) Oh, we make it to church for that. I got to go when I've been hatched, and I got to go to get matched, and I have no choice when I have been dispatched. Other than that, there's no guarantee you're ever going to see them in church. Let me tell you something. You've got to have Jesus in the center of your home and of your marriage. I don't know how a marriage makes it today without the Lord Jesus Christ as the center of that home. Somebody once quipped, I don't know why some people change churches. What difference does it make which one you stay home from? <laughs> if we're a member of a church, then bless God, we ought to be in a chair. Can I have an amen today? The Bible says, and I love this, the Bible says, by yourself you're unprotected. With a friend you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. I picked that out of the Message Bible because we're in Fort Worth, and there's just something about the way that sounds. Can you round up a third? Can you round up a third? Then you ought to just say to me, I reckon... I like that. He's saying, can you find a third party in a relationship? Because that's what keeps a a three-fold cord is not easily broken. And here's what he's saying. Make God the third party. Can you round up a third? Put Jesus in the center of your home, in the center of your marriage. Can you round up a third? Can you ask Jesus to come into your home, into your marriage? Can Can you welcome him into the place you call a house? Can you say, Jesus, we anoint this place, we appoint this place, we bless this place, we want to round up a third party. We're asking you to come in. And you know what you'll hear him say? I reckon... I want us to say it together. There's a zing to that. Can you round up a third? (laughs) All right, that's good. Jesus Christ should be the third party in every marriage. He completes the threefold cord that can't be broken. Amen. So there you have it in a nutshell. 
Let's sum all this up. A Christian family is described as a family with three characteristics. Let's stand while I read these off. Here's the sum of today's message. It's first a home where the father, mother, sons, and daughters are all growing in their love and commitment to Christ. Now you say, none of my kids walk with God. Then start with you. Well, it just seems like the more I walk with God, the worse they get. That's always the way that it seems. There is a warfare going on. So just you walk with God. They're never going to forget it. Walk with God. Secondly, it's a home where all family members look to God for help whenever they've got to deal with a problem or a difficult situation in life. You turn to that third party. Just this morning when I left for church, Kathy was in the chair, her neck hurting. We turned to the third party. We said, Lord, heal Kathy. I ministered the word to her, prayed for her. If I hadn't done that and came to minister to you, I've sinned. Because I'm not married to you. I'm married to her. But if I start there, I can come and bless you. And thirdly, it's a home where family members praise and thank God for his daily blessings. That's how you raise children who, who don't have that insidious sense of entitlement. The government owes me, you owe me, the culture owes me, everybody owes me. No. When they see you blessing God and thanking God for the blessings that have come your way, then they say, all good things come from him. They all come from him. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something today, church. I'm going to ask you to follow me in the next few weeks. And I'm going to ask you to do two or three things real quickly. I put this on the first service, and boy, were they quiet, but they left happy. I'm going to ask you to do this. Don't criticize your spouse until next Sunday. Don't do it when you get here next Sunday, (laughs) but don't do it for a week. Don't say to your wife, sir, well, you're not what you used to be. Sir, have you looked in the mirror lately? You're not what you used to be either. We're all sagging. Come on. So don't say anything critical. Don't talk. Don't say anything about her cooking, anything about her house cleaning, anything about anything. Don't criticize her. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. We're going to eradicate criticism for this week. Now, ma'am, don't criticize your husband. Don't criticize his work habits or lack thereof. Don't criticize the way he doesn't take out the trash. Don't criticize his sloppy habits. Don't criticize. Find the one good thing. People have said to me, well, I'd say something if there was anything good to say. Well, you can find one good thing. And there might be 30 negatives, but I want you to once a day lay a heavy compliment on them. And here's the way some of you are going to do it, because I can tell about looking at you right now. <laughs> you sure look pretty. <laughs> you sure look pretty. Some of you women. You know, you just look flat, handsome. (laughs) And you go off in the closet, just shake it off. If you got something negative to say, go tell God in the prayer closet. Dump it all on him. Don't dump it on your spouse. So no critical words between any of you spouses this week. I hear some of you saying, I can get saved and turn from sin, but I can't do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Not for a whole week. Now, you know what's going to happen? We're going to come in here next Sunday and explode because we will not have dug our own grave with our tongue this week. 
Because that's what kill, that's acid on the skin of a marriage. Critical words. You might as well just drip hydrochloric acid on the skin of your marriage with criticism. So none, none. Even if they do something horrendous, just, just, I claim that I can just shut up. Gossip the gospel. Witness to them if you need to. Don't, don't say anything critical. Now, if we'll do that next week, we're going to come in, and I'm going to give you something. It's Mother's Day. I'm going to give you something that you're going to be able to take home, and it's going to teach you how to release God in your home next week. Now, are you, will you guys let me minister this to you? I was with you until you said no criticism. I got to criticize. It's just my makeup. God help you if that's your makeup. God help your spouse. No, criticism's a habit. We're going to get out of it. Father, we just thank you right now for being with us, for strengthening the home, for moving in power, for helping us. Now, church, just take a minute and give God your home. If you're a single living alone, give God your home. Married person, give God your marriage and home. If you're a single parent, give God your home. Just give him your home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you believe he heard that, can you just lift a hand to him and say, Lord, I bless you. I'm going to receive an anointing on my home. Anointing on my home. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Now, I just want to encourage you and remind you that if you do know somebody who needs to be in church, not just in church, but needs to hear the word, there's nothing magic about church. But you know someone who you know would have benefited from today, and they'll benefit from next week. Would you invite them? Invite them. If you needed this today, can you give the Lord a hand of praise? Thank you, Lord. 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 Well, we're going to count to three and shout glory. We'll see you Wednesday night, many of you, for Hey Jude. And uh, the rest of you, next Sunday at 9 or 11, bring somebody. Let's count to three and shout glory to God. We love you, and we'll see you next week. One, two.